Welcome to the HR Tech for Good podcast. It's episode number three with the one and only William Tincup. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, sunny and beautiful here in Texas. What part of Texas are you in? Arlington, Texas, in between Dallas and Fort Worth. So you uh, you escaped the cold snap recently? Well, no, we didn't escape it. It, it hit us pretty hard, but uh, but, you know, the weather it was it was it was really intense but then by saturday it was 70s and so the sun's out it's there's no you couldn't tell that there was ice and snow here last week it's gone so you know it was it was a tough bit because we're just not set up you know like a lot of different places in the world unless you've had the types of storms or whatever natural disasters or whatever it is you're not set up for it like we're not cold weather people and so we don't have cold weather stuff. So it was oh, uh, it was quite traumatic, but it's gone. Yeah, good stuff. So, are you a media guy? Are you a, are you an advisor? Are you a, an investor? I I was looking at your profile, and I'm like, <laughs> what does this guy does, do? Yeah, what does he do? Where, where do you sit in this HR tech world? So half the time I spend uh, during a given week, half the time I spend talking to practitioners about vendors, right? And then half the time I talked with vendors talking about practitioners. Yeah. And so uh, I, I literally sit right in between both. I love the practitioners of both HR and recruiting. Yeah. And I love the vendors that serve them. Um, my role at Recruiting Daily is president. I was initially kind of brought in to help build out other multiple revenue streams and the events business and some of this other stuff. Um, but I, I love talking to both sides, actually. Yeah. Uh, and so the advising thing is essentially a way for me to work with companies that can't afford me. So, you know, it's like a young company that's just started. They don't have any money, but I really like what they're doing. I'll take a piece of equity and the then I'll advise. Equity. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll advise them. I've had a number of been very fortunate. I've had a number of, of exits and it's fun. I love working with entrepreneurs. So, all right. So I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur. Yep. I think I've I've solved it. I fixed it. Oh, okay. Hey, that, that William, he look, he he's he seems to be well connected, right? What what's the first question you're asking me? How how are you working out if I'm worth your time? So it's three things. Uh, one is is the gal or the guy. It's like, do we get on? Um, you know, if it's a if it's a conversation where you're fighting uphill the whole time with each other. You know, I think the world is flat. You think the world is round. I think school is blue. The sky is blue. You think it's purple. Mm -hmm. Then, then you already have this inherent like we're just not going to get on, which means that you're not, not going to seek my advice, okay. and I'm going to think it's a pain to give you advice. Okay. So, so the first clear before you go on, the, the world is flat, right? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> to to everyone that's in QAnon, it is. Uh, yeah, uh, which. I'm wondering about the top of QAnon. So I'm I'm now at the point of like, what do you have to believe in to be the top person in QAnon? Like what, how crazy do your beliefs have to be that like you've got to be at the top of the pinnacle of, of that conspiracy? Because it's all conspiracy theories, which have been around for, you know, hundreds of years. There's nothing new there. 
but it's like, how crazy do you have to be to be at the pinnacle? Anyhow, so um, the world is indeed flat. Um, the second thing, so it's three things. So the first thing is the entrepreneur. The second is the tech. And, this, and, and what I do there is it's like, okay, crack it open. Let's look, let's play. Like right. take me into it and it's a demo, but it's more than a demo because it's, you're really kind of, you, you sign an NDA, so you know, nobody's exposed and it's like, okay, tell me about, tell me what, what's next. Like I can see it and what it is and the UI and the UX and the UA, but what's next? What are you really the problem that you're solving? But what are you, yeah. what are you solving six months from now? So then that's a check mark. And then the last check mark is market opportunity for me. Yeah, it's it's the ability is, is this a small problem? Is this a medium sized problem? Is this an immediate problem? Is this a solution searching for a problem? Because um, you can you can really like the entrepreneur and really like the tech. Yeah. But if if the market opportunity isn't there, then 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 it's a timing thing. Do you have a scoring system or is it just you just know? When I you just know. know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. After doing it this long, you you, you, you just know. So I, I'm I'm a staffing guy um, mm-hmm. or a headhunter, as you yep. as you guys call it, and, <laughs> and I advise some small like early stage staffing companies in that, and I think I've got a good idea for tech in that space. And somebody came to me the other as part of this podcast. We, we discussed this product, yeah. and he showed me what it did, and he said this fixes a problem for like Coca Cola and Oracle, and I was like, no, it doesn't. This fixes a problem for executive search. Mm-hmm. Because I'm in the world every day, right? How how do you keep up to date with like what the problem is? Well, because the problem keeps changing, right? So yeah. the and the more thro- solutions get well, uh, the level of acumen by practitioners is going up. Mm-hmm. The level of knowledge and acumen uh, by vendors is going up, and the problems are changing. Yeah. So you can look at the problems pre-COVID, and you can look at like my mom was asking me just the other day, he's like, what's changed at work because of COVID? It's like, well, let's just start in alphabetical order, you know? And uh, we went through a bunch of different things and it blew her mind. Um, and so the problem's always changing. It's a movable object. It keeps moving. Yeah. And uh, so what keeps me up to date is, you know, you got to be aware uh, of things that are changing. So you got to be kind of like, putting the feelers out and understanding that other people are seeing things too. So you can't be arrogant or narcissist enough to think that you can see it all. Anyway, if you ever fall into that trap, then, then you've, you've, you've already, it's a bridge too far. Um, There's a lot of people looking at a lot of solutions, but if you can tap into what they're learning and then you have your own conversations and then do a lot of demos. Look at a lot of technology. Um, last thing is is talk to a lot of practitioners. I mean, just talk to them about you know the 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 bit that you know is an easy question, but yet very difficult. What's keeping you up at night? Mm-hmm. If you were to ask, and I did this for a number of years, but if you were to ask practitioners that every day, it'd be something different. Yeah. Well, if you were to ask ten practitioners now of similar size firms, what's keeping you up at night? What's the most common response you'd get back? Hybrid uh, hybrid model, hybrid business model. So what is post-COVID, what is the new um, hybrid workplace and hybrid workforce? 
So workplace being, how do we re-envision what is the office and think about that differently? And also the workforce being, how do we think of talent differently from gigs to, you know, all the different ways, the pieces that we can put together, how do we put them together differently with the underpinnings of everything can now be done with knowledge workers. Um, Everything can be done remote. So now do we have people that are always going to be remote, people that will never, ever see the office, people that want to go to the office. So on the other extreme, uh, you know, you want to go in the office because that's just the way you're hardwired. Yeah. You love being in the office um, and being able to serve. So for HR, it's being able to serve all of those folks where they are uh, at the time that they are and giving them the best chance for success. How do you stop HR from buying bad shit? <laughs> uh, you, you, well, the best way uh, when talking to HR is to do your due diligence and ask tough questions. So the, the first thing HR practitioner, when they're thinking about a solution, is that they should reach out to their peer group and, uh, and do, the, do the bit. Go, go in now. Uh, seek out all your peers and go, okay, I'm thinking about moving to, we'll just say ADP, make it simple. Uh, thinking about moving from one payroll company to ADP. Who's moved from this company to this company? In my peer group, you know, that's a LinkedIn thing. That's a local network. That's also global. You can, you can use Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups for this. I'm thinking about going from this to this. Words of wisdom. So one thing is, is just using your referral network and your peer network in a way. The other is, is you seek out um, with when someone's selling you, you seek out the people, not their official references. Like I love getting the, so we'll use ADP. If I'm in that sales process with ADP and I say, hey, I'd like to talk to some customers. I think that's just normal and natural. They're going to give you people that are going to say nice things about them. But the question that you should be asking is the question that's closer to, of the last 10 deals that said no to you, that got the proposal and that said no to you, I'd like to talk to them. Yeah. Okay. Now the great salesmen uh, and women will then say, absolutely. Here you go. Here's their names and numbers. Give them a call, give them my name, tell them what, what the bid is and talk to them. And, and what you're really looking for is why did they say no? Like you got to a proposal. So it, you know, there, obviously it's been some time and energy in getting that far. Why, what ultimately made you say no? Mm. Um, and, and I think you can learn a lot there mm-hmm. uh, in asking those questions, but I think it's asking tough questions of customers. Mm-hmm. I mean, of, 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 of the sales team and asking tough questions about, hey, what happens when things go badly? So let's say this thing, yeah, I'm gonna sign a five-year contract, but let's say we get it in year one and, it, and it's just, it's painfully evident that our company has changed or the solution has changed and it's just not gonna work. Yeah. Like what happens when things go badly? You know, HR is not great at asking those types of prenuptial types of questions. On the other and, side of the coin, William, when uh, when you've got excited about a piece of technology, you like the mm-hmm. founder, got your wee piece of sweat equity, um, and you're thinking, okay, now we've got a road market to market to market. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what separates the good companies and the great ones when it comes to putting in 
that channel sales, sales teams, and what what like best practice looks like? So best practices, you know, for, for the companies that scale correctly, if you will, is it's three things. It's the three R's. It's referenceable clients. So it means the underpinning of that is they treat their clients well. Uh, recur, recurring revenue. So they've built a model that they can grow their MRR and ARR so that they become more stable over time. And the, the third is repeatable processes. Like they're not reinventing the wheel. They're imp the, the bell rung, they sold a client, they're about to onboard a new client and they've already got a checklist and a process and a bit that they then can model and you know audit and make it better over time, but they've got a model. They're not making it up every single time. So that's how you create that stability. Um, now, as it relates to just specifically sales, which is something that you asked about, I think sales, you reverse back out to what's the best for the customer and, and the prospect. So if I'm trying to reach the prospect, uh, do I do it with BDRs? Do I do it with lead gen? Do I do it with field sales? Do I do it through the channel? You know, do they like calls? Do they like emails? Do they like texting? You know, what are they going to respond to? You reverse that out back to what do they respond to well? And then that's the, that's the process you build. Mm. So you don't force a model. And I think that's where you have some companies that kind of grow up through, hey, we're going to do direct sales. And this is just the way we're going to do it. We're going to build you know, a sales BDR, lead generation BDR, and a ton of salespeople with sales leadership. And we're just going to go direct. Up until the point where the, the prospects don't necessarily like that. Maybe they see you as a spoke and a much larger wheel and and you should really be connective tissue that's sold in a much larger situation then you've got the wrong sales strategy then then you should be going through partnerships and going through for, as as a spoke of a much larger wheel and selling that way mm. and so you reverse that out you don't you come to the table with a preferred model the model is based on what makes sense for the prospects and the customers so a combination of all depending on who the person is you're trying to reach? I, I think you start with who the person is, so you know that, and then what do they, how do they like to be sold? Okay. What's their preference? And, you know, the thing is, is it doesn't, it isn't rocket science. You can actually find this stuff out pretty easily just by asking them, yeah. you know, like, like we sell this thing, we'd like to sell it to you. How do you, how do you prefer to buy this? Like it's background screening you know uh, it's it's a bit and it's a different type of background screen but do you like buying that as a part of a much larger screening philosophy and if so great go partner with people that are that have the things that you don't have and put a much larger deal in front of customers where you're a spoke so i if mentioned that uh, ask them i mentioned i uh i interviewed uh, craig fisher and bill borman already yeah, yeah. and uh they, they both said they've done a tremendous amount of traveling over the years. Yep. And, you know, the same faces at the, on the circuit and, and yep. the speaking circuit. Is that going to change now with... Uh, 100%. What, what, 100%. What's the future of conferences look like? Well, uh, I don't... I, I, it's rather bleak, uh, in my opinion, no. because we've taught ourselves that, you know, on one level, you can get same, similar, better content uh, in a remote setting. 
um, you know, some people will lean on this. Well, we're humans and we still want that human connection. I'm not so sure of that. Hmm. Um, and I also think their conferences in general are very inefficient. Um, I think if, if, if you put a better model together where you can put buyers and sellers together, it doesn't necessarily have to be in, in uh, Amsterdam or, or, or in London. Um, but it's so, so much fun, right? It's so much fun. Get Business travel is, uh, you know, for anyone that's done it, and those two guys have done it uh, a ton as well, this, there's nothing sexy about business travel. I mean, it seems sexy, but it's, there's nothing sexy about it. Now, that's being said, you're also at some generational shifts where there's a, a wave of new voices, as there always is, of people that want to travel. Mm. You know, they either want to get away from their their situation or they want to see the country or they want to see the world. And they're willing to take a 14-hour uh, flight to somewhere to speak on a bit because yeah. they want to do it. Um, I myself... I will look, I will evaluate post-COVID, I will evaluate speaking opportunities on one of two things. Either it's a place that I've always wanted to go to. Okay, maybe I take my wife and kids and we do the do a bit. Uh, or there's a large check. <laughs> I think Bill said the right? same. That's it. Now, 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 if I can get both of those together, I'm going to go to uh, uh, South Africa and go go to go to Johannesburg, and 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 they're going to give me a large check. You know what? I'm doing that bit. I'm on yeah. that flight. But if it's if it's uh, so, is it the I end mean, of the highwayman of uh, of HR yes. tech? For me, when I started speaking, in, this is 2005, six somewhere in that area. Yeah. I talked to my wife about it before I even got down, down this path. And I said, listen, I want to do this bit that, which means it's like a band. And when you start out in a band, it's basically anybody that'll take you, you go and play the gig. And that's what I would, that's what I explained to my wife. We we're on vacation. And I said, listen, if 40 people in Topeka want me to come and speak about a bit, I'm on a flight to Topeka. Like that's the bit. I got to go do the thing. Um, years later, after you've done that, you've been around the world, you've done all that stuff. I've been to Topeka. I mean, it's a cool place. Like I got no, no hate in my heart for Topeka, but I don't ever have to go to Topeka again mm. in my life. I don't ever have to visit there. And there's a lot of places I like. I mean, London, I mean, beautiful places, Amsterdam. I've been to Amsterdam 28 times. Wow. I don't ever have to go to Amsterdam again in my life. <laughs> now, again, if it's a big check, I'll go to Amsterdam. I mean, it's a flight to London and a short flight from London to Amsterdam. Great. Done. I'll do the bit. But business travel for me has forever changed because of COVID. All right. Um, I've just done a wee bit of research beforehand. Um, so the, the purchasing HR came up. The, mm -hmm. You've written some stuff on automation. What's your thoughts on that with the future of work? Well, I think we need to automate the things that we're either not good at or that are just lower value tasks, right? So you've been in, in the staffing business. Uh, so you know that in years past, we've had st uh, scheduling coordinators, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People that, that they spend their entire week scheduling all the different pieces of the candidate and the hiring manager and the team and this, that, and the other. Well, you know what? There's at least 20 different bots that can do that bit. Yeah. And, and, and so that's a low value task and that should be automated. 
Um, and so that frees us up to do some of the more higher value human things like that we should be doing like this. Yeah. And, and, and talking with candidates, like once they get to a certain point, it's like, you've been through the conversational bot, you've been through the voice bot, you've already done a series of interviews, got all the screens, got all this stuff done. Let's just talk like humans now. Yeah. You've already made it to the certain point. What do you want to know? Like, what do you want to know about the company or the hiring manager or the team? Or what do you want to know about me? Yeah. Like, That's the persuasion it, piece. Yes. Well, and, you believe that will remain. Oh, good gosh. Yes. And it's both ways. Okay. So candidates trying to persuade you, yeah. you're trying to persuade the, the candidate. And if we've got some of that lower value task that's automated, it frees us up to be able to do that piece correctly. Yeah. Like I don't have to have a 15 minute call with you. Now I can actually have a 30 minute or 45 minute call with you and let the call go into places mm. like really, really like, Hey, listen, I'm not in a hurry. Yeah. You know, because I got all those lower value tasks already automated. I have time to actually talk to you. More importantly, I have time to field questions that you have. And, and so it's Q and A, but it's really, as you already kind of got to, it is also persuading, uh, persu it's persuading and we're selling each other. Yeah. As, as a recruiter, I'm selling you as their candidate, you're selling me. And we're getting to give that a little bit more time. What's the most common debate you get into? online uh it's it's historically it's been sweet versus uh, best of breed product so do i want one technology that can do a lot of things but maybe not well like work or, day? <laughs> 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 yeah a lot, yes um uh 100 or do i want to you know and it's becoming easier to then just say no i want best of breed and comp I want best of breed. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll take work days. Actually, I'll be a workday client, but I'll, I want my, I want my ATS to be iSIMS. Mm. So iSIMS is then pulling data out, doing the workflow, pushing data back into workday. And that's a good experience. They're having a, a great experience in iSIMS and, but yet they're still getting the, the, the upside of workday. So the integration's okay. key on, in, when it comes to that. That's right. So those questions, that debate, I think is chicken and egg. It, it'll never go away uh, to some degree. Um, but I, I think that, you know, I think people right now talk a lot about the candidate experience and which is fantastic, but just as much as it's the other types of experiences that you have, it's the sorcerer experience, the recruiter experience, the staffing person experience, the hiring manager experience, the onboarding experience. So it's thinking about experience in micro experiences in ways that we should be thinking about it uh, and not just candidates. I mean, candidates are important, but they're only one part of the equation. And is there some kind of scoring mechanism software that's out there to make all that happen? Or? Not on all the experience. I think Surveil does a really good job with uh, a really understanding kind of where you are with candidates, um, but not, I don't think there's really anybody that's tackled all the experiences. What uh, products out there excite you? Well, I, okay. So I just joined uh, as an advisor of a company that were guys in the industry that had a company in ATS called Newton uh, Software. And it was an ATS. They sold it. And years later, after you know doing some things, they got the band back together and they wanted to do something around churn. 
And so they built a BI company that basically looks at all these, all of your data with customers, and then it gives you indicators of flight, of customer unsatisfaction, or of, uh, of, of, of things that they're doing or not doing, and it red, yellow, greens it. I love that. I mean, I'm an advisor, so of course I'd say I'd love it. But yeah. I love it. I love it because it's solving another part of the equation yeah. that that I've always found fascinating. I mean, that's why I spent five years of my life doing user adoption stuff, is I love the idea of how do you fix churn? Yeah. Um, how would you fix it in a staffing business? Because one in th- like, it's like, well, you know what it is. It's, it's, it's the same. It's the same thing. It's indicators. It's indicators of, of satisfaction and happiness and it's indicators of the opposite mm. so i mean again you're looking in staffing you're looking at the same things that they, the corporate world is looking at you're looking at price quality and speed so the combination of price quality and speed and if your customer is happy with price quality and speed and they're giving you those buy those signals and you're listening to them then your customer's happy and then you can you, you can you can kind of check that off and know that they're happy with the equation and the relationship yeah. But it's when you don't listen and you don't and or don't hear that they're unhappy with the equation, the price quality and, and speed equation. You might be really fast, but the volume's not there or the quality is not there. Yeah. So like listening and social listening and otherwise, I, I think it's the same thing with staffing. I don't think it's any different. I think it's being aware of what's driving them and making sure that they're both happy, but also understanding when unhappiness happens that you can fix it. Mm. You just gotta listen. And tell me, staffing world, are we in trouble? Are we gonna get replaced by the the computers? No, not not at all. No, I I think- Bill Barman had me terrified. I was- was, (laughs) <laughs> I was going to just open up a coffee shop after my interview. No, no. I, I think there's always a role for staffing because there's always positions that you can't or are for whatever reason, you know, again, take a, a friend of mine who worked at Wayfair. This is in 19. He had to hire a thousand software engineers. Wow. Okay. Now just imagine sourcing that and then getting the interviews and getting all that stuff. There's always going to be situations where there's the purple squirrels, the hard to finds, uh, the high volumes, um, things that they're just not good at. I mean, when you, if, when you look, I'm Nike and we're really good at hiring designers, but we're terrible at hiring product marketers. Mm. And over the course of time, we've just figured it out. We're just not great at that. Well, that's a great way to work with a staffing firm or an RPO in a way of saying, we're going to outsource this because you're just better at it than we are. Yeah. So I think there's always a, a role. I think there, there always should be a role for executive search, staffing, and RPO. And just on, on the staffing front, when mm-hmm. like we're seeing like the great dispersion of, uh, of California and New York, yep. people, people are just hitting, this, hitting the road and they're going to some of your pastures like you're like your own good time. Yeah, yeah. Well, how does that look like from an advisor's perspective? What are you, like, are you, are you just like telling people to hire people remotely globally or locally or regionally? What, what is it like? This is all well, happening in real time, right? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think, you know, remote, if, if you, you know, it comes down to your cultural, the values of the company and, you know, what you want, but also what the talent wants. 
I think if you open up your aperture to people living anywhere in the world, and and it's about the outputs, it's about the outcomes of the work, then I think you're putting yourself in a better position to win long term. Uh, I think you should live wherever you want to live. Like this idea that there's hubs that you have to live in New York, you have to live in Silicon Valley. Those were all f- kind of false era walls or false constructs. We didn't have to live there. A lot of people chose to live there. Now, if you choose to live in Tokyo or in in San Francisco or whatever, great. Mm. You got a higher cost of living. Um, but you don't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, I mean, it should be a personal choice, a family choice, things like that. You should live wherever the hell you want. Yeah, I agree. Again, we're doing, we, you and I are talking about knowledge workers, not bank cashiers, sure, or, absolutely. you know, people like that. But, but if you want to live anywhere in the world, you should live anywhere in the world. Yeah. And so final question, mm-hmm. three most inspirational people in HR tech. Oh, good gosh. Uh, there's so many. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many. I mean, you can uh, name more than three. Yeah, yeah. Well, the two guys that you mentioned are 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 two of them that I listen to: Martin Burns, George LaRock, um, I think all uh, John Sumzer, um, I think all the analysts. So Madeline Lorano and Trish McFarlane, uh, Molly Lombardi, all of those folks. So I like I like the inputs of people that have studied HR tech for a long time. Yeah, that can kind of see the waves and are not caught up in kind of the uh, the sizzle. Yeah. So Bill and, and Craig, Matt Charney, you know, people like that, that they've seen the waves and they can kind of distill through the waves and go, okay, here's what's real. Um, but, but there's a whole list of people. Uh, those, those, those that I've mentioned and probably thousands that I, that I, that I haven't that, that have looked at things and they're critical. Like, like, I don't, I don't like a lot of, um, bubblegum type of analysis i want someone to take it and go here's the plus here's the minus Mm. and and that's okay like like we're adults it's okay that there's pros and cons to this where can people find you if they're just google william tinco it's uh it's pretty easy i I, I did that you know (laughs) every everything's out there so uh i'm for better or worse i'm actually relatively easy to find yeah thanks so much i really appreciate your time really enjoyed the interview you've learned lots and hopefully when uh we have a better understanding of this world we can come back on and go into more depth on certain subjects love would love to absolutely love to thank and thanks for having me on